Welcome to Founder on Founder podcast powered by Phoebe Venture, Phoebe being the acronym of For Entrepreneurs by Entrepreneur, a venture capital tech firm in Vietnam and Southeast Asia. I'm really honored today to welcome Julian, the founder and CEO of Zenium, an health tech company headquartered in Singapore. Welcome, Julian. Hi, Olivier. Thanks so much for having me. So it's a very special moment for me today because uh, Julian is the first uh, entrepreneur that I, I back at Phoebe back then in January 2020. And they also announced uh, yesterday a pretty big round, a Series B round of 40 million. And I believe uh, Julian will detail that in the, in the second. So welcome again. And uh, it would be great if you could uh, say a few words about yourself. Uh, your academic and business background as a as a quick intro. Sure. Thanks first of all for the for the backing and for the belief. Yesterday indeed uh, was was massive for us. So about myself, as you might hear from the accent, uh, I'm originally from Germany. I haven't lived there in now nearly 16 years, very much to the dismay of my mother. Um, but I have been in working in startups all of my life. I never really had a choice because I have three older brothers and a father that all run their own companies. And so straight out of university, I joined a startup um, back then still in Germany that uh, was very successful within a short time. And so when I was 22, I thought I understand everything about how to build and how to scale and moved to the U.S. and founded my first company there. But uh, very briefly, after the first nine months, I learned, hey, there's actually a lot of things I still don't know about how to fundraise, how to think about business models and strategies. And so uh, I made it a mission to learn from great founders. And I got very lucky twice, spent four years in the U.K. with a digital payment startup called Moneybookers, Nowadays, rebranded to Skrill. They just IPO'd uh, at the New York Stock Exchange, but uh, was heading the marketing there. And within four years, we sold it to a large private equity firm. And then afterwards, I spent four years in Africa, where I learned to love emerging markets. And uh, I did what you would call intrapreneurship, working there for Ringier, which is the largest Swiss media house, and really building their African operations from scratch. And nowadays, that's the largest content and classified group in Africa. And I then moved to do my MBA here in Singapore uh, with INSEAD uh, in 2016 and finished here in 2017. Great. Thanks for, for sharing this, uh, this great background. Um, so could you share a few words about Zenium and what's your vision for the company and the problem you, you're solving with your dream team? Right. So I wanted to initially found straight out of INSEAD back in 2018, but I set myself some parameters of the company that I would like to run. And part of that was that we said we want to solve a very large problem. So have a very large market and um, wanted to do a consumer business. So in a perfect world, even have something where I have a product that I can ship to consumers. So B2B SaaS is just, for me personally, emotionally not fulfilling enough. And um, the third part was that we said we want to build something where we can own an entire category potentially, and build a category-defining company. And I had a very interesting dinner with uh, a friend of mine who incidentally at that point just finished his training uh, and his education 
as an orthodontist. So straightening other people's teeth. And he was mentioning that he is a little bit upset because he just put 13 years of his education into a profession that more and more um, sees evolution from 3D printers and from CAD CAM designers. And so the skill set that he is learning is being more and more automated. And I found that very fascinating because nowadays you don't find oftentimes um, an industry that is being disrupted with that kind of speed that you see in orthodontics and where you have a product with invisible braces, which is Zenium Clear, that's our flagship product, that are actually superior to a traditional product, so your metal and wire uh, braces, nearly in all aspects for a consumer. Because you have a product that is straightening your teeth that is virtually invisible. You don't see it. It's clear plastic around your teeth that you can remove when you eat and drink. You only need to wear it for 20 to 22 hours a day, but you can always take it out if you need to. And accordingly, you can also clean your teeth at any point in time. I think, Olivier, you're even one of our customers, if I'm, I'm not mistaken. Correct, correct. I have a beautiful smile after five months uh, treatment and very smooth, very fluid through the app and through the, the different uh, uh, frame that I receive. Thanks. Thanks for the support. I think what was most interesting, though, for us re with regards to Zenium is we see this as one play in an expansion of concentric circles in a category which we are calling smile cosmetics. So orthodontics as a category is very established in markets like Europe and in the US, but it's still fairly nascent here in Southeast Asia. And so we see the opportunity um, to really be a synonym for when it comes to dental care in the markets that we're in. And so we do have the invisible braces where we're working with hundreds of dentists across seven markets um, to distribute the product. But we also produce um, a toothbrush and we have a clear teeth whitening and a bunch of other products that are launching in a couple of weeks that I think I already can say here. Um, and so what we really see there is the chance to build a category-defining company and our mission is to make uh, spread smiles across Asia. Great. You just mentioned that you're currently operating in uh, seven markets, which are a mix of uh, mature market, I would say, mature economies and emerging ones. Could you say a few words about how you kind of uh, think uh, global slash regional and, and act local? What is your secret sauce in uh, or you performing already in uh, in seven markets for, for two or three years old company? So... Back when I was starting the business in Africa, I learned very quickly that um, Africa by like as a conglomerate of markets is very attractive, but just having one single market there where you number one doesn't help you to achieve the goal of building a very large company very fast. Don't get me wrong, a market like Kenya is generally great, but if you want to build a large company very quickly, then you need to play in a variety of markets from the beginning. And so that is why I felt very confident with playing in many fragmented markets similar to Southeast Asia from the beginning. So we are laser focused and we knew that from day one that we want to be a pan-Asian company with a special focus on Southeast Asia. So what we did is we launched initially in Singapore. 
The reason for that is that regulation is actually the toughest in Singapore, but at the same time, speaking to regulators is very fast. And so getting the initial product off the ground with the right level of quality was what went quickest here in Singapore. And once we had product market fit here, that's when we started our expansion across Southeast Asia. And so as of today, we are in Indonesia, in Malaysia, in Vietnam, in Thailand, in Taiwan, and in Hong Kong. And I believe we can both say uh, hello to Tung, the country manager of Zenyong Vietnam, who is doing a great job here on the ground with his team. He's doing an absolute kick-ass job in Vietnam. So sure. taking a step back to Zenyong and it, its core, could you share about your company culture? How is it built during the COVID time and integrated from the, it's at the, the headquarter in Singapore and to all the, the office locations? So I believe, you know, if you think about what makes people go to startups in the first place, it must be culture, right? It is usually, especially if you're a very young company, seed stage, series A stage, it is most likely not money or the salaries that you, that you can pay. And so if you want to compete as a startup against, I don't know, the Facebooks and Googles of this world, which offer much better pay and much more security, then you need to build a kick-ass culture. In the case of Zenium, um, we our values are speed, grit, curiosity, candor, and lightheartedness. And what you see from that is we defined that very much in the beginning to be a culture where we say we want to build a place that people want to wake up for in the morning. So for like-minded people that are aligned with our values, that they enjoy coming to work every single day. Because I believe, you know, every one of us had these points of times in their lives where they were waking up in the morning. They're like, oh man, I don't want to go to the office. I don't want to be there, right? And don't get me wrong, just to be realistic, probably that's happening to everyone maybe a week or so per year. But if it's more than a week, you need to change something, in my opinion, right? You need to change your job. Life is too short not to, not to enjoy your job. And so what we learned, and this is something where COVID uh, has, been, um, has been a teacher and, and has been very difficult as well, is that actually, um, you know, when COVID hit us, we softened our culture a lot. What does that mean? We, we knew there was a lot of uncertainty and we knew that communication would get harder. For instance, there's markets out there. I haven't seen Dung in Vietnam Now, uh, since one and a half years, nearly in person, right, which is crazy. I don't know his team in person. And so to keep the culture alive, we try to build a lot of um, obviously remote meetings. We have kind of kind of monthly all hands meetings. We're using a lot of Slack. We're using a lot of interdepartmental calls to stay connected. But in the beginning of COVID, everything became softer, right, because we had this initial uncertainty, we um, try to be a place for everyone. And what we actually learned is, especially at our stage of a company, we rather should dial up our culture. So be very proud of the values that we have, be very proud of the achievements that we have, and make sure that for the people that are aligned with us, we're building the best possible place. And that is what I believe when we're getting 500, 600 people and at some point are profitable and can pay the same salaries, for instance, like a Google or Facebook, 
that will be the one differentiator versus the big companies. It will be our culture. Culture doesn't have to be for everyone. There's some people that might say, hey, maybe this is not for me. Maybe I don't like the speed and the grid, for instance, within Zenium. Um, and we learned that that also has to be okay um, within the company. But for the people that enjoy it, we need to be the best place. Great. Possible. And you, you and you, you C-level team are still welcome at my place in in uh, you know she mean for the OKR that we planned uh, two years ago. <laughs> It's the first OKR offsite we're gonna do internationally as soon as we can travel. We'll hang at your balcony, man. The invitation is still uh, is still on the <laughs> table. Don't worry, I won't forget. So with a great um, company culture, great mission, team, and uh, working environment, uh, Zenium is a. Uh, definitely and constantly attracting great talents. I believe you are already more than 200-something talent in uh, in Asia. So could you share with our audience today, how do you make yourself a hiring decision? What are you, as a successful entrepreneur with uh, more than 15 years of experience uh, in management, yeah, what are your tips and tricks in terms of uh, of uh, recruitment? Any, any specific stuff to, to share about your secret sauce? I, I think it's such a difficult question because it changes so dramatically based on the stage and size of the company you're in. I remember still when when it was only me in the beginning, I was happy for anyone that even applied with us, right? So in the beginning, and I would, because we didn't have an office, so I would try to meet people in hotel lobbies to kind of give them the impression of like, oh, we're, we're a bigger company than what we were. But in the beginning... Just be humble, be happy for any talent that speaks with you. And to be frank with you, Olivier, in the beginning, I probably pitched more than I interviewed, right? And when the company grew and when we had our product market fit and we were able to attract more talent, what it becomes is during the very early stage, you start hiring a lot for culture. As the company grows, you more and more can also hire for skill fit. I think getting that right is something that many startups, you know, sometimes you're more focused, you're only focused on skill or you're only focused on culture and striking this balance is very important. So what we're now starting to do more and more within Zenium is that we have these very separate tracks whenever we interview a candidate um, with regards to skill and with regards to culture. And we might have people that are not a direct reporting line or would even work together with that person, but we have people that we know reflect the culture at Zenium very well. And so we draw them into interviews where we say, hey, we just want to know that that you also would like to, I don't know, go to lunch um, with that and that person. And the other thing is, and that might sound very German of me now, but have a very clear-cut and structured process behind it. So we're, we're using a software tool that uh, has very predefined stages in there, and I'm now starting to enforce that everybody in the company uses that tool, fills out all of the interview questions there, that we have kind of a committee, a hiring committee within the company that makes sure that uh, any candidate on a certain level Um, gets interviewed at least by three, four peers before any offer is being made. And until very, very recently, I signed off personally because it was easy to do via DocuSign and via that system on every hire in the company as well. So I think as a founder, you know, this is something that I personally had. It's hard for me to let go of that. We're now hiring for the first time 
um, a head of talent and culture for the group. By the way, if you listen to this, uh, please apply if you think that's a, um, that's a good position for you. Because so far, I always said I want to make sure that culture, the talent, that hiring is something that people take very, very seriously and, and uh, that managers do themselves. Great. Uh, so moving forward, could you, could you share about the, your best practices in, uh, in fundraising and uh, then your most recent uh, fundraising milestone and, uh, and achievement? So first of all, we're very happy and very lucky, uh, I would say, um, with the investors that we had so far. So the way that I initially structured the company is we always try to think two, three rounds ahead in terms of the um, uh, in terms of the investors that we want to get on board. And so um, I actually had already a friends and family round closed when I incorporated the company back in the day. So I already knew where would the capital for the first six to 12 months come from. Um, and that was uh, um, that was initially done. And then, you know, um, we knew we need to build product market fit to attract some of the tier one investors here in the region, uh, including you guys, but also, for instance, including uh, Sequoia Capital um, that came on board for a seed round and that has been backing the company since the seed and all of the subsequent rounds. Um, and so most recently, um, we were very lucky to uh, and very proud, to be honest, to get L. Catterton on board. So the big partner fund of LVMH, which is probably um, the most significant consumer group uh, globally. And uh, we're very happy about that because we want to build one of Asia's most legendary mass consumer brands in our category of smile cosmetics. And so uh, there's only a few funds globally that we thought were really tier one to support it. So in the discussions with investors, we, uh, we very early on identified who are the ones that we see a big fit with and then kind of uh, explored whether, whether we could imagine working together. And so this is where the latest round $40 million Series B with Al Catterton is coming together and we're very glad to have them on board. So congratulations to you, to Tung in Vietnam, to Fred uh, in, uh, in Singapore and to all the other uh, team members. Good milestone. And to, and to Phoebe, who also kept backing us through the rounds, right? That's also something that we very much appreciate. So thanks for that. Thanks for the continued belief into Zen. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to, to giving back to the ecosystem by sharing your, your experience and your tips and tricks for uh, how to move from one market to seven others, how to recruit, how to close round from uh, uh, tier one investor like Sequoia and El Caterton. That's very great to have you on board today here. Thank you so much. And uh, see you soon for the next uh, Okia uh, seminar in, uh, in, in Oshimin in a few, few months, a few quarters, let's say, to be more conservative. On your rooftop. We'll take you up for it for sure, Olivier. Looking forward Thank to you. it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.